They charge a torso and live here. Drip tears down on the concrete jungle where socks still slouch and the sauce is bumped. Welcome to Insert Name here. Wait, is, is that right? That that doesn't that doesn't feel right. Welcome to Insert Name here, your weekly rundown of what the hell just went down here in DC and why it matters to normal people. And not just that white guy who mows his lawn near your parents' place in a Make America Great Again trucker hat. We're your guides. I'm Scott Remling, Democratic strategist with the firm Vaccaro Blue and noted subway tile aficionado. Wow, that's a good one. I'm Ian Taranji. Thank you. A member of the One Love Massive Artist Collective and an immigration attorney with the law firm of Rodriguez and Sanabria. Ian? Yes, sir. It's Monday. It's June 5th. The fuck just happened this week? So I'm going to jumble up our order a little bit here, and I just want to, right out of the shoot, give a little bit of my favorite thing that I saw this past week. Outstanding. My daughter, Ava Josephine, was born on Tuesday. That a girl. Uh, I want to give uh, props to everybody at Inova Fairfax Hospital in Fairfax, I guess it is. And, uh, yeah, she's she's gorgeous. I'll tweet out some pictures That's for tremendous. my Almost zero followers right now. but So, folks, Ian rarely smiles at this. Like, he kind of grimaces at me sometimes. The <laughs> bastard is legitimately smiling, which I think proves that he does have a soul and didn't sell it at some point for some tasty guitar licks, which <laughs> means I lost a bet. I went down to the crossroads. Exactly. Uh, Ian, congratulations. Thank you. Um, thank you. She's gorgeous. We're thrilled. Mom and baby are doing great. Uh, my wife, Shauna, is a trooper. She's uh, home recovering, and she indulges me and allows me to come downtown to Chicago and hang out with you guys and talk bullshit. Well, we thank Shauna for doing all of the actual work while yeah. you stood around, most likely in a panic, flailing your arms, probably <laughs> something like an epileptic Kermit the Frog. So it was, it was yeah, that's pretty close. That's pretty close. This is my fourth, my fourth child. One more, and you got a basketball been, team. This is true, uh, but I also feel like one more, and I probably start forgetting their names. Um, <laughs> you just start running through the names. I'm fortunate enough to have been there for each and every one of my children's birth. And That's awesome. Uh, uh, something that I'm, I'm He's beaming, really folks. thrilled about, and I'm beaming. I'm a beaming person. He's beaming. Now, radio so, is a visual medium, so yes, of course yes. you can all appreciate You this. can all see this. You can all appreciate my beamingness. So. Um, your question, the question the, was, what the fuck just happened? What the fuck just happened this week? Uh, you know, another, another slow news week. It um, is. It's just rough to put together the rundowns for this, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's get to what I thought was big news this week. Um, president Donald Trump announces that the United States is exiting the Paris climate accords. Charming. Yeah. <laughs> That's that, that, that. Yeah, yeah, charming. charming. Um, so what are the Paris Climate Accords? For well, the Paris Climate Accords. So this is an agreement among virtually every nation on Earth. In fact, and who are the, are, does anybody not participate in the Paris Climate Accords other than the U.S.? Yes. Uh, I believe, as has been popularly reported, uh, the nations of Syria and Nicaragua. And North Korea. I thought North Korea was Oh, it. North Korea is. North Korea. Korea. No, you're right. No, it's <laughs> Syria and Nicaragua. And Nicaragua because they felt it didn't go far enough. Right, right, it's right. Syria because it's not a country. It's a battleground. Correct. And the U.S. And the U.S. Aren't we awesome? That's called American exceptionalism right there. Can't be exceptional if you're not going to lead. So, But the, 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 the point of the Paris climate deal, um, and it's really not, it's not a treaty insofar as it, it, it imposes actual requirements on the countries. The countries all sort of come up with their own individual targets, but the overall global target is to sort of reduce, uh, uh, what is it, global temperatures by about two degrees Celsius. Right, primarily tied to carbon emissions, of which the U.S. is the largest contributor on Earth. Yeah. Well, 
historically has been the largest contributor. I think on an annual basis now, China has China's exceeded right us. China, I think China has exceeded us at this point. In part but, because of all that concrete. But, but I mean, if we, were to, if we were to pile up all the carbon that has been admitted into the Earth's atmosphere since the dawn of the Industrial Age, I have no doubt the United States would be reigning champions. Champ. Reigning champions, baby. The champ. Hand out the gold medals. So, you know, what, what, does, what does it really require of the United States? I mean, the United States, again, these are voluntary targets. And here in the United States, anyway, most energy policy really does get set at the state and local level. There is, I mean, obviously there's a Department of Energy and, you know, there are, there are energy regulations, um, for example. Uh, there used to be uh, the, the Clean Power Plan that was put in uh, that, uh, during the President uh, Obama administration, um, which was functionally to sort of phase out coal-fired electric uh, production. Right. That no longer exists but you know that's the sort of policy that gets made at the federal level but when you talk about actually you know like maintenance of the grids and you know a lot of the things that really matter and what your sort of energy portfolio is how much wind how much solar how much natural gas how much uh, coal-fired that really gets set at the state and local level right the federal contribution in a lot of ways the other thing that they do is they underwrite a lot of uh, Colorado is home to the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, a.k.a. the Collaboratory. Collaboratory. But where they were doing all kinds of research on things that, you know, things like, hey, why don't we make roofing shingles into solar cells? That seems like kind of a good idea. That research helped lead to Elon Musk being able to do that, and now Tesla's announced that, like, they're going to start rolling that out because Tesla really is an energy company in a lot of different ways. Right. Um, you know, but you're right, you know, whereas like the things you were talking about, a renewable portfolio standard. So a lot of states do that now where it is, they pass a law saying, Hey, a certain percentage of our energies, we're going to come from, is going to come from renewable sources, solar, right. wind, uh, hydro, although hydro is really getting phased out now. Uh, although that was the sort of savior in the seventies. Um, there were a know, lot of saviors in the seventies. There were. And I will say for most states, when they bring in these, these renewable portfolio standards, RPSs. One of the things they seem to never cease to be surprised by is how quickly consumers grab onto it, and they do it. Yeah. Uh, in 2004, Colorado passed a renewable portfolio standard. They're supposed to have 15% of their energy was supposed to be from renewables by 2015. By 2007, they'd accomplished it. Just blasted right through it because consumers are willing to pay a little bit more for that. Mm -hmm. You know, Consumers with disposable income that are willing, are willing to say, hey, we need to leave. It goes back to the joke that I made, right? Can't can't be exceptional if you're not going to take the lead on stuff sometimes. Right. So, right. you know, Trump spends all his time talking about American exceptionalism, which he then contradicts by saying, you know, well, or he does in a different way by saying, we're so exceptional, we're leaving. What's his reasoning for getting out of that? It's hard to really pin down rationales and sort of linear of an irrational man. logic when dealing with a man who is, you know, I mean, look, and I say this every week. I really don't like for this to be the Trump bitch fest, but there are certain truths. I do. There are certain truths that need to be spoken, and this is a man who's way out of his depth. Fake he truth. doesn't, he really doesn't think about these issues. I mean, he's spouting off about coal jobs and, um, you know, how devastating the Paris climate accords are going to be to our economy, you know, and it's, it's you know... It, I mean, Which is not true, right? Because yeah, one of the things about renewable energy research is like that creates jobs. Of course, you know of these, course. you know these giant windmills that have these hundred fifty foot long blades on them. Yep. You don't pick those off a tree. You don't like you don't you don't like plant a breeze and harvest a windmill. You know somebody has to build them, and those are good. Those are better jobs in some cases than what the coal jobs would be paying. And more numerous jobs. It's right. there's there's more jobs in solar than there are in coal right at this point in the united states there are more people uh manufacturing and installing solar cells in the united states than there are mining for coal and Period. there's and there's only up to the only way to go with the renewable energies uh section of the economy the only thing it's doing is growing right right there are going to be more jobs there and that's a really good thing and 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 the fear the fear is that so many of these companies who are developing this new technology are 
going to see a, a United States government that is at best indifferent to their business and at worst outwardly hostile to their business. And, you know, we already saw uh, uh, newly elected French President Emmanuel Macron. Right. Did I do the whole French accent that was, there? That, that was good. I find you strangely attractive. Yeah, well. You also shaved, which is which is a nice change. <laughs> yeah. Again, visual medium, folks. I was in court today. That was really cool. Yeah. Um, Did, are you innocent? <laughs> uh, Macron. I have a good lawyer. <laughs> so it doesn't matter if I'm innocent. Uh, Macron. Macron. Macron spoke. Uh, he gave a speech after uh, uh, President Trump um, withdrew, formally withdrew at a rose garden ceremony, and sort of the gist of his speech was one i know that this president doesn't speak for even the majority of americans um and two basically saying to american scientists working on technology and in 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 this industry come to france yep you we have we will support you we can subsidize you your work is important it has value to us and that's a powerful, I think that that's a powerful message. You know, there's nothing that Donald Trump did in withdrawing from the Paris Climate Accords that functionally changes anything in, in Elon Musk's business or, um, you know, whatever uh, all the companies that are, that are you know. Doing this kind of stuff. And there's right. also huge conglomerates, you know. I mean, GE does wind turbines. Right. Um, Mitsubishi does wind turbines. I mean, so there's huge multinational companies, but there's also smaller uh, you know, kind of, I don't want to say mom and pop, but but much smaller operations that are that are that are more locally based, and the message seems to be, meh, not so much. Well, and it's fascinating because you know, like an old truth in campaigns that I work on is, every problem you have solves another problem you have, and it seems like with Trump, in a way, the inverse is true. Like every solution he rolls out creates six more problems for himself <laughs> that he's not seeing. <laughs> You know, the Republican Party as yeah. a tenant, in particularly across the South and the Sun Belt over the last 20 years, a big thing of theirs has been, you know, hey, tax incentives to attract employees. Right. Trump said Walmart. That, right. To, you know, and, and or to attract, you know, B, the BMW plant that was built in South, South Carolina. Carolina. Um, you know, a bunch Outside of these. Right, there's a VW plant in Mississippi. I think more than Mississippi Probably. or Alabama. I, I'm I, some right to work state. I'm sure. Right, but you know these these Republican governors helped get these things in part by, you know, creating tax incentives and things like that, and making and sure to push gutting and gutting union protections. Sure, but by realizing there are ways to make ourselves competitive. Right, and this is, seems to be what you know Macron and probably Germany and a number of other states are going to get out there and say is. They don't want you. We'll how have about, you. How about China? Right. China has a booming, booming solar industry there. So uh, I think one of the things that we do, uh, I saw a great number today that was actually very reassuring in the face of all this because, you know, America noted knuckle-dragging troglodytes America. Hey. It's America. America. Um, one of the, I did see a story, though, today that pointed out it will take four years to fully extract ourselves from the Paris Climate Accords. Right. Right. And it takes 30 days to reactivate, <laughs> which means we won't be done with the process by the time Trump is out of office in 2020, knock on wood. And we could basically switch it back on right away. Right. Turning it off takes a lot. Turning it back on is a fairly straightforward process. So part of the hope there, I think, is that, you know, what a progressive, you know, what progressive allies can be doing is being out there, you know, a finding ways to support the industry if you see products that are made with renewable energy if you are somebody who can afford to buy you know you have energy choice and you can afford to buy renewable energy doing that to show that industry like hey we're with you because in the end that's how businesses talk right businesses talk in ones and zeros and dollar signs and it's a terrible language but it's the language they speak and okay you know but showing them that like you value them is part of a way we can say like stay cool like just just be cool like we're we're here we're we're, we're going to clean up this mess in a minute we are really sorry that like Fonzie like Fonzie be cool but you know the issue though with quote unquote leaving withdrawing i mean again these are all voluntary standards so whether we're in or we're out the key is the progress that 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 has been made and that we need to continue to make to move towards a renewable energy future mm-hmm. um 
the as far as I'm concerned, fossil fuels should be the the transition, the gateway drug, if you will, to a, like a fully renewable energy right. A portfolio. Stop gap. Like President Obama said in 2008, a stopgap, right? Not a solution. Now so, the response has been really interesting. Like a bunch of American mayors have stepped forward and say, "Well, we're going to comply anyway." Right. Right. Good right, on right. them. You know. And in our area, in the DMV, um, we've had responses as well. Uh, in D.C., Mayor Bowser has basically said uh, she instituted a an executive order um, saying that 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 D.C. is is going to comply with its obligations under the the Paris Climate Accords. Good on Mario Bowser, shoring up the white base. <laughs> It, it, you know, look, let, let's, let's not get ourselves here. <laughs> if you're a working family, if you're a lower income family, like this stuff is nice, but like you got bills to pay, you got things like that. It's like affluent people in Northwest that live West of the park, you know, or, you know, they're the ones who like think philosophically about this and are willing to burn that kind of money. You know, I, I, it's, but it's, it's good politics. It's good politics for any Democrat's base right now. And, and Democrat, you know, mayor's offices are where Democrats hang tough right now. And the base believes in it. Well, listen, cities, I mean, cities are obviously densely populated with, with people. Right. And um, actually taking active steps to reduce your carbon footprint, uh, you know, by an, an X number of percent, I believe it's, I believe it's 50% by within the next 10 years under DC's plan. I may have those numbers wrong. The that's other thing a, I the other thing I big. The other thing I wanted to point out uh, is that Governor McAuliffe uh, recently announced that Virginia is going to join the US Climate Alliance, which is a group of more than a dozen states that includes California, Massachusetts, New York that are are working to achieve the goals of the Paris Accord despite so Terry What's McAuliffe continues his slow rollout of his presidential campaign. Good. <laughs> good. You know. Come on, man. <laughs> it's, it, but it is. I mean, it's it's good politics, too. It is good policy, but it is good politics with the base. It's good politics with the base. Uh, but and donors like most in particular. Things, but like most things, good policy, I believe anyway, good policy makes good politics. I agree. That's why I like to. I agree. I, I, I like our little focus on politics. That's what we do. Even, you know, even, even when I'm fucking up DC's. Now, Republicans, you know, the, one of the things that really got a lot of language was uh, that Trump said, you know, I'm, I'm responsible to be the mayor. I, I'm supposed to represent the people of Pittsburgh, not Paris. Right. So, A, the Paris Climate Accords have nothing to do with the people of Paris. It's equivalent to me saying, I, Ian, I'm here to represent myself and not Siberian tigers. Like, okay, well, nobody said you were <laughs> supposed That's that doesn't even, but you know, like he's taken a lot of flack for this comment. If you don't represent the Siberian tigers, who the fuck will? Sure, that's what Big Tiger wants you to believe. <laughs> so, when we come back, um, I want to talk about. Uh, I want to. I want to dig in a little bit deeper and and maybe talk more about sort of the the conservative movement's response to this and many other issues. We'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to Insert Name here. So you can check out this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes. You can follow us at uh, onelovemassive.com. There's also a ton of great other podcasts that uh, that One Love Massive is producing right now. Chopping it up, keeping it DC, get fed, balling. That's my favorite. Um, actually, I like get fed too. There's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot. To- <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Five words, folks. Five words. We're back to insert name here. So, Ian, when we left, uh, we were talking about uh, how I am the only person in America standing up to Big Tiger. And you were starting to talk about sort of Republican and how sort of conservatives have been talking about issues for the last 20 years, which is just what Big Tiger wants you to think about. Yeah, I mean, you know, I look at this <laughs> big tiger visual medium here. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't see, you didn't see Scott's uh, uh, dead leaping sexy. tiger, leaping tiger. Uh, so, as you were saying, you know, anyway, with, with the Paris Climate Accords, I mean, you you sit there and, and you're trying to parse out. And listen, I mean, we've had people talk, 
we, we've heard Scott Pruitt, the head of the EPA, talk. We've heard Nikki Haley, uh, the ambassador to the UN, talk. Uh, Sean Spicer, reporters have been trying to get, you know, kind of pin down where President Trump is just on climate change generally. And they've all been sort of like hand-waving and not really getting at it. Or the, so, new, the new talking point now seems to be, well, of course the climate is changing. Yeah, climate always so, changes. So then you can't say you don't believe in climate change because they say, well, of course climate is changing. You say, like, right. And they're like, but we don't know why and we don't know if we should do anything. Like, yeah. okay, well, of course there's a house on fire, but I don't know if that guy running down the street with a gas can and a torch is responsible or what I should do about it. See, but I feel like that even gives it – I feel like that even that, – that kind of framing gives them too much credit. Because to me, this feels like, you know, you, you, you try to get at the merits of what, what, what Trump is doing by withdrawing from the, Par- from the Paris Climate Accords. And it just doesn't make any sense on the merits. Uh, and no. so the question becomes, why are we doing this? And it, you could ask that of Obamacare. You could ask that of the Iran nuclear deal. Department of Education guidance on transgender students. Uh, refugee resettlement. The OJ guidance on sentencing that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Right. Clean power regulations we talked about in the first. Cuba policy. Cuba. Let's move. Healthy eating initiatives for kids. Right. They're rolling back everything that Obama did because Obama did it. Right. And this whole presidency, I feel like, is a fuck you to Obama and to anybody who voted for him and thinks that he was a good president. It's remarkable. Um you know, starting back in the 90s, you started to see this tilt. Toward insanity? Well, you know, look, there was a time where the way the policy stuff was approached was to say, climate change is a thing, and we know mankind is, is creating it. Democrats say the way to do it is to impose a bunch of regulations, and Republicans say the way to deal with it is basically to, like, create some tax incentives and create like a market-based structure, like the what was called cap and trade, which allowed people to have certain limits of emissions they were going to be allowed. And the idea was, well, if you didn't use up all your limits, you could sell them to somebody else so that the overall amount of emissions was going to come down, even though any individual company may or may not be. That's like the last thing I can think of where there was very clearly this sort of like, okay, we agree there's a goal. Let's talk about how we get there. I think you're right, and I think part of it is it goes back to you know me always being a campaign person, seeing the politics first. Mm-hmm. You know, a big piece of this is is that a lot of the Republican base right now got spent eight years getting so whipped up in a frenzy that everything Obama did was wrong because right. it was a way to get them to come to the polls and vote Republicans into power. That now what the Republicans have is this thing where they have a bunch of people basically saying like, well, you said everything he did was wrong, so you better undo it, and so they have to. Which is what leads them to do stupid things, you know, undoing right. the like the healthy lunches initiatives. Yeah. Who here thinks kids should be eating unhealthy food other than like the Hostess Cupcake Corporation? <laughs> so like literally big cupcake, big cupcake right? <laughs> but other than big cupcake, like who thinks that kids shouldn't be eating healthy? Well, I think I think it's mind bending. But I think I think Obamacare is actually sort of the 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 platonic ideal of what we're talking about here because you know they spent all these years just railing about Obamacare and Obamacare and it's terrible and it's awful and years and years and years and, and now they, they finally get into power and, and they, they got nothing they got nothing they, they, got they don't know what nothing. to do they well I mean you know I would argue they don't know what to do because there isn't the anything conservative to do. there isn't yeah the, the conservatives don't feel that there is anything to do they they don't want to pay for poor people's health care right they have um, a fundamental problem there which is yeah. they don't they they don't believe that we have a responsibility to try to make sure that folks can see a doctor right 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 and, and if so you don't believe never, that there's so, a just it so doesn't get any further they're never going to be able to square that circle and if you think about all the different factions in the in the in the conservative movement and the republican party what is the one thing that unites them, okay, other than tax breaks for wealthy people. What is the other thing, the other only thing that unites them? Disdain the, the for Obama. Disdain See, for I was, Obama. I was going to go with the Klan. That's actually number three on the board. <laughs> but yes, and, and, and not that far removed from disdain for Obama. But, and so it's, it's remarkable. And like you said, you know, like, like we were just talking with, with Mike at the break, right? You know, their answer now, like this, you know, the Congressional Budget Office, we talked about them last week. They're the independent bean counters that work with Congress, and they're supposed to, they basically run the numbers on any policy. And they're supposed to be caught there. The whole idea is 
They're supposed to be independent right. CPAs, basically, right? They know they right. run the numbers, and you say, like, look, love it, hate it, whatever. We all agree. The CBO number, we all agree that's consistent. The Republican attitude is to say, well, maybe we don't need the CBO anymore. We don't need the CBO anymore. Look, this is, it's insane. You wouldn't, if you saw guys, uh, the, I, I, I'm, I'm stuck. Okay, take the, take You're the price. You're flabbergasted. You're flabbergasted. But I think, I think I've got, I think I've got, I think I've got something here. Okay. Uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, uh, Jonathan Chait, former, uh, uh, fellow uh, Michigan alum uh, who wrote an article just this week entitled everything conservatives said about the Paris climate agreement is already wrong. But to me, the operative part of his article is not so much where he's breaking down what's going on with the Paris climate agreement. He says here, and I'm quoting the dominant spirit of conservative thought dot, dot, dot is not even skepticism, but a trolling impulse. The aim is not so much to reason toward a policy conservatives would favor as it is to pierce the liberal claim to the moral high ground. Right. Essentially, that whatever liberals are for, We're they're against. against it. And liberals are for clean power, therefore, they're against it. That sounds like an alarm that <laughs> means our segment that comes to an end. This is very, very scientific here. This is a very professional podcast. It's extremely Very pro- professional podcast. I put pants on. You're listening to insert name here. You have, if you have an idea for what to name this terrible podcast or a thing for <laughs> us to talk about or anything else, you can tweet us at Ian's handle at WokeSince84. And you may tweet us at exactly zero other handles because <laughs> Ian's a great big jerk. I am on at fire. Puked, at puked on myself. That is not a, that is not a thing. <laughs> I, w- I will cut you. And we're back. In Saturday night brought another terrorism attack to the UK, uh, this time in London. Uh, three assailants killed seven people and wounded 48 others by ramming a vehicle into a crowd on London Bridge and then stabbing people in nearby Borough Market. Uh, London police shot and killed all three attackers who were wearing suicide belts that turned out to be fakes. Uh, police have now identified two of the three attackers, at least one of whom was a British citizen. I saw on my way over here one of them had been like, Previously identified in a British video about, like, you know, homegrown jihadism. You know, Ian, first off, you know, UK has been targeted three times in three months. Right. Twice in the last two weeks alone. First, the bombings outside the Ariana Grande concert, and now this. It's a lot going on across the pond there. Yeah. You know, Europe, you know, when we get into issues of, of migration, you know, Europe is really... It's 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 at the forefront of sort of the debate that's being ha- that's that's happening globally. It's definitely a debate that's going on here. Uh, I'm an immigration lawyer, and I obviously know what what goes on here. But I, but with regards to migration from places like Africa and the Middle East, and in particular migration from people leaving war torn, civil war torn right. countries, serious refugees. You know where are they going? They're going to Europe and. Uh, for whatever reason, the Europeans have not been able to assimilate, assimilate uh, many of these populations uh, as well as we have. Not to say that we're immune to it. By no means no. Are, are we immune to it here. And obviously, just, just ask any one of just ask any one of Latino descent in this country. Yeah, just what about the hostility alone in just the last six months? It's been right. remarkable. Right, right, right. Um, so, you know, it's it's. It's a difficult situation to really wrap your head around. Uh, you know, Theresa May came out. She's the Prime Minister of, of Great Britain, UK, and um, she is calling for uh, upper penalties, um, probably, to be honest, more profiling. Um, but London's mayor, for example, is also African-American, mm-hmm. Khan. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you, I, I thought he said something remarkable today. Or I don't know if it was today or yesterday, but but basically saying, "Look, you know, these people do not speak to me. Do not speak to my religion." Um, now it's 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 a remarkable contrast in a way that that uh, you know Europe's response in some well, hey, Europe has just they've dealt with terrorism. It's various forms, especially in the UK, right? And, and frankly, they've 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 dealt with it a lot more than we have. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, or at least what I think we could call uh, political terrorism. Um, right. You know, organized. Let's uh, let's go so far as to call it even organized political terrorism. Um, you know, no you had no the doubt. you had the IRA bombings in the eighties in Britain. Basque, uh, you know, Basque uh, separatists. separatists. All I can think yeah, was yeah, recessionists. Yeah. Uh, that's not right. <laughs> they're they're, re- they're really want to bring down the economy, and they're going to do it by spending less. Damn it! Uh, but the Basque IRA, separatists. The IRA wasn't just ma- making doing bombings in Great Britain. I mean, it was, it was right. almost like a civil war going on in, in Northern Ireland during the, the during what the British, of course, called the troubles. The troubles, a classic British understatement. If I ever saw one, you have a civil war going on in your backyard, and it's oh yes, well if. Ooh. We have some issues with the neighbors. But let's give credit where credit is due to the British. They, they just, I think, have the correct response to these sorts of issues. Not to freak out, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Not to put uh, uh, undue, um, uh, undue stress on, on, on the issue. They just seem very calm, collected about things for the most part, and continue to go about their lives there's a great still shot of you know people sort of like running in a panic from london bridge and one dude's running with like a pint of beer <laughs> in, in his hands and i think he basically has become a national hero so he'll be on whatever the british version of the tonight show is within the next week or so but so you know one of the backdrops against this though which i think we'd have to acknowledge is that the british parliamentary elections are coming up they have right. they have the they're basically presidential are coming uh, two weeks from now. Theresa May, the conservative, v. Jeremy Corbyn. Oh God, don't even get me started. The Labor that, Party, that, that tr- walking train wreck candidate. But you know, it, it's it's interesting. Obviously, two that genteel British politicians enter. Yeah, only one. Now, only one is asked to please walk on to the next room, and the other one is sent home with some lovely parting gifts. Um, you know these these attacks are coming. I think. I don't think any of us can ignore that from sort of an organized terrorism perspective, these attacks are coming at a strategic time. Sure. They are trying to, you know, the, the ISILs of the world are trying to ratchet up anxiety to uh, impact elections in a way that they feel will be constructive, which is sort of in- counterintuitively to, might, it might not seem obvious, but, you know, what those organizations want are actually hostile governments like we have right now. Because it lets them, in the politics version, play to their base. It lets them say, see, they hate us because we're Muslim. You know, they got great talking points this week out of some dipstick, you know, uh, rep out of Louisiana who used to be a sheriff. Did, who, you, did you mispronounce dipshit? I, something like that. Um, who, you know, uh, did, a big, uh, did a big video statement this week about how we need to kill all Muslim terrorists. And if the government won't do it, we will. And, you know, then Nigel? he had to, like, clean it up later. But it was... Nigel Farage on Fox and Friends, I believe, either this morning or yesterday morning, and all the days. So uh, you're the all one. The days, all the days bleed in together since I'm basically working on on various two hour nap uh, uh, increments here. But um, Nigel Farage, the leader said, of the you know the UKIP, right? UK, UK Independence, Independence Party, Party, which is a very far right. It, Nigel Farage is the British version of Donald Trump. Right. He's a right wing sociopath who cares not for anyone except white people. I mean, he's talking about internment of Muslims. Right. He's talking about internment. Internment. Right. Like, we tried that once, and uh, we're sort of like in a never again mode, I would say. When it you know what the sad thing is? I don't think this. I don't think where this government is right now here in this country, I don't think the Trump administration is above that. If they could find a way to do it, they would. And they would argue something different, and there would be plenty of voters that would be with them, and that's bleeping terrifying. There would be plenty of voters that would be with them, I would Yeah, but then, but he'll call but, out the national guard. Like it could get ugly fast if he went for that. But it's not; they're not above it. That's what the Muslim ban is. You know, his Muslim ban has been hot, has been fast tracked to the Supreme Court. They're going to be taking a look at it. You know, we're supposed to get a ruling. Yeah, soon. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know what the the briefing and oral argument schedule is at the Supreme Court yet. Um, I mean, I imagine they they have to fully brief the issues. Uh, I'm sure whatever opinion comes out will quote liberally from Donald Trump's tweets, uh, in which he well, I should hope says, so. Basically says this is a ban. This is a ban, uh, right? Despite his 
DOJ's protestations to the contrary. I don't know. My personal favorite tweet about all this was after one of the, after the court in uh, Portland suspended it, and his response was, "Fine, we'll see you in court." Like hey, <laughs> Jesus Christ, we, stupid! You were in court. We are a court. Oh my God, we are a court. It's 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 sometimes it's the it's like arguing with a four year old about who gets to pick what we're having for dessert. Like, no, I've decided we're having ice cream. Like, okay, here's your strawberries. Yeah. No, it's ice cream. It's so, oh, my God, it makes my head hurt. So this kind of, let's bring this back to, to, to London and the terrorism because I really want to talk about sort of the global response as we see with every terrorist attack, regardless sure. where it takes place, you see world leaders reaching out, offering aid and comfort and, and uh, you know, Right, being supportive of the victims. Being supportive, we stand with the the great people of uh, the UK, and we will offer our support. I mean, you could basically, there's some version of that that came out of Angela Merkel, Justin Trudeau, uh, Emmanuel Macron. I just like that. I just, I feel kind of funny inside. So, uh, what was the U.S. response? What was was our president's response? I assume it was something measured and responsible, like, we stand with the, our hearts go out to the victims and the families. We know that Islam is not a religion of violence, and we stand united to eliminate terrorism in all forms. Yes. Yeah. Right. That's that's what is that what it said? It's, I don't know if that's one hundred and forty-four characters. Um, yeah, yeah. No. Well, look, let's just start out because we can actually we can go on to Donald Trump's Twitter at at real Donald Trump. Not to be confused it? with the fake Donald at, Trump. Orange jackass. <laughs> so his first tweet, uh, upon learning that there's a terrorist event going on in London, is Donald Trump retweeting the Drudge Report. For those of you keeping the, score at home, the Drudge ooh. Report is a, is an original clearinghouse of right-wing news, most famous for breaking the Monica Lewinsky story in 1998. And never again breaking another story, but... I don't know. They infinitely broke, trolling. They broke that Dick Cheney was changing his uh, voter registration to Wyoming when he was selected for the running mate in 2000. No. I'm, <laughs> hey, man, I'm trying to throw Matt a bone. He wears dumb hats. So he, he, he retweets Drudge Report. The second, his second tweet, his first, uh, the first time we're hearing his words, really. Uh, we need to be smart, vigilant, and tough. See, I'm trying to do his voice now. We need the courts to give us back our rights. We need the travel ban, capital T, capital B, as an extra level of safety. Uh, a few minutes later, whatever the United States can do to help out in London and the UK, we will be there. We are with you. God bless. There it so is. It sounds like it sounds like between that 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 second and third tweet, that somebody came in and was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" What's hilarious, right? There there was a reports in some of the insider press in DC in the past couple of weeks that they're going to put a team of lawyers in place whose whole job is going to be basically to review his tweets before they go out. And if there's nothing that the Covfefe debacle, where he like tweeted half a sentence in the middle of the night, and this, if there's nothing that proves, it's simply that like literally Donald Trump sits there and watches the news with his Twitter and fires things off. Well, sure. He is one step tell. away from my dad. You can tell. Well, I mean, he is functionally your dad. I mean, we, you know, he, he, we, dad? His, next, his next one... <laughs> His next tweet, we must stop being politically correct and get down to the business of security for our people. If we don't get smart, it will only get worse. So then he starts going in on Sadiq Khan, the London mayor, uh, at least seven dead and 48 wounded in terror attack. And mayor of London says there is no reason to be alarmed, which, of course, the mayor said, look, over the next couple of days, there's probably going to be an increased police presence in London. No need to be alarmed. Right. Don't about freak that. out about that. And... On and on it went, and he is still, he's still tweeting about the London mayor, and um, yeah, it's ridiculous. In case you're wondering, in case you're wondering what a man-child who has access to nuclear weaponry sounds like, um, you are free to check out Donald Trump's Twitter at real Donald Trump. So Ian, at real Donald Trump. It's a great. I'm about to give us a great transition here. Watch this because it's so irresponsible. Like, it's just so irresponsible. You have to ask the question. Is this guy a moron? Or is he just an asshole? 
And we'll find out when we come back after the break. You're listening to Insert Name. So if this were a, a real professional podcast, which it's not, this would be the point at which you would hear us talk about a sponsor, which we're not, for our podcast, which we don't have, which we do not have, we do not have any sponsors whatsoever. Um, but that's we, because we're not professionals. This is true. This is true. We're very, very amateur. Uh, so if there are any small businesses out there in the DMV that uh, would like to reach uh, a handful, and by a handful I mean like three listeners, uh, hit us up. Ian, you have no idea what you're doing here. Let me help you. Okay, ready? Folks, I'm going to start randomly picking businesses out of the yellow pages, and we're going to start announcing that you're with us. <laughs> if you don't want to be taken hostage by this system, sponsor us today. You can contact us at at folks, it's 84. That's a great Boom, fucking idea. Got you to break. Welcome back. It is that, that special, special time of the week, Scott. <laughs> Oh, I'm so easily entertained. The public outcry for moron or asshole has been so deafening. It deafening. is a, ground, a dude, right? I, I saw a dude a few minutes ago who was like, what about moron or asshole? Now, what's weird is it was Mike, the producer. Yeah. But yeah. He, he did it. And actually, I made that part up. We, no, no one's asking. We literally, we literally have like two listeners. And I lie a lot. Uh, if one of them likes moron or asshole, that is technically uh, a groundswell. I can tell you that it's 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 not my fiance Miss Bedway. She's not a fan of moron or asshole. She's not a fan of moron or asshole. No, I, I assume she is. She's never actually. <laughs> I'm, I'm just making this stuff up. Look, I'm just trying to fill airtime here and create content. All right, good. We've wasted a minute. Moron or asshole. So moron or asshole. Uh, so this week we saw a couple of, I would call them, poor artistic choices by. People who I actually think are are, are pretty funny, um, Kathy Griffin and Bill Maher. Uh, they 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 each they each generated a very predictable outrage machine, one from the right, one from the left. And so I guess I want to kind of just like let's just take all the actors in this play and let's ask moron or asshole. Um, so let's start with Kathy Griffin. For those who didn't see, and I'm sure you've seen because it's been all over social media and stuff like that. Just wait. Kathy Griffin. Wait, I live in I live in Bentworth. Oh, okay. Um, Kathy Griffin did a photo shoot, and she's holding the severed head of what is supposed to look like Donald Trump. Um, obviously, because Donald Trump is still living and breathing. That is not the actual severed head of Donald Trump. And if you see the photograph, I mean, it's meant to be artistic, meant to be over the edge. Right. It was um, supposed to draw attention. It was supposed to. to it, it, in a way, it did exactly what it was supposed to do. It really did. Except I don't think it was intended to get her fired from her <laughs> New Year's Eve gig on CNN. How would we know? Uh, but anyway, yeah, maybe she just wants, maybe she's just sick of Anderson Cooper and is like, now, fuck it, it's too damn cold out there in Times Square on New Year's Eve. So let's Enough start with this. her. Moron or asshole? I'll go first on this one. Moron. I just, we, in this climate right now, dealing with this president who is constantly back on his heels and getting his head handed to him, basically, huh, no pun intended, but he's getting his, you know, he is constantly taking a barrage of criticism. Conservative media outlets are always looking to be able to say, see, we're not bad guys. You're bad guys, and we're fine. Right. Now, that's in turn because their conservative listeners are constantly feeling like they're under attack. And if you get attacked enough, you start to wonder, like, maybe I am in the wrong. And this is a way to sort of reinforce, like, no, I'm not in the wrong. I'm right to hate certain ethnic groups. It's fine. I'm a good person. Uh, so I'm going to go moron. Kathy Griffin, you should have known better. Like, at some point, you needed to be the one saying, you know, it's good to bait, but this is a this is high risk. Yeah, no, it's definitely high risk. It's definitely high risk. I guess, and, 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 I, and I want to preview my, my, my views on Bill Maher as well. And, mm. and maybe I'm biased because, like I said, I do find both of them to be, you know, funny for the most part. Um, although neither of these I thought were funny. 
you know, I guess I give a little more leeway and latitude to a stand-up comic. Look, nobody who does safe stand-up comedy is coherent and funny. You know, I mean, you kind of have to. What was Lenny Bruce all? You know, why was Lenny Bruce funny? Why is Andy Kaufman funny? Why was uh, Eddie Murphy funny? Why was Richard Pryor funny? Why was Sinbad funny? No, I see. Wait. <laughs> you're just dis- <laughs> you're disproving my disproving. Mike is deeply unhappy with me right now, but I made a Sinbad joke. Self five. What up? <laughs> I guess I give a little more latitude to stand up comics to to make poor artistic choices um, without suffering too many repercussions because. Um, I want them skirting that line, you know. I want artists. I want artists. All artists are supposed to, you know, delve into and and express right their and, truth and probe these boundaries. Because otherwise, culture stagnates. Right. right? That's exactly if right. If somebody's not there pushing the boundaries at in any direction, then you're stuck with Sinbad. Right. I, right. Look, Serrano's Piss Christ is a very famous work of art. Yeah. Um, where he took a crucifix and basically put it in a jar of his own urine. Correct. There's a lot that could be you could you could take away from that. A lot of people were deeply offended. It is not personally my cup of tea because I'm not really into cups of urine. Because hang on, okay, it's not really my particular cup of urine. There, that was a joke I was looking for. Yeah, but well done, well done. Thank you. And I'm I'm glad it took three tries we'll, to get it right. We'll clean it up in post. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, but it's, it is important for people to be doing that. Yeah. No matter how bananas it might make me, that a, a, any given joke might, you know, and then the, the crappy part is on the right wing side, you got to tolerate it. You know, it's in the same way that when we were talking about on our, on our very first episode, right? We were talking about the protests at the University of California against Yanos Mianopoulos, whatever that hipster's name is. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't like him. I, I, you know, I don't know that I would pull over and piss on him if I saw him on fire on the side of the road. But the jerk, like, we do, it is important for us to be exposed to those points of view, if for no other reason than to say, oh, good, I don't want to be that. Right. That right. is not a thing. And it becomes, and sometimes when things are complicated, it as much as it helps to have a North Star to point to and to navigate by, sometimes it also helps to be like, and that's a reef, and I don't want to crash into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I guess what I say about Kathy Griffin, probably similar to what I say about Bill Maher, um, you know, okay, you push the boundaries. Uh, the, neither of these were particularly clever. Let's get into Bill Maher a little bit here uh, mm. because this is maybe the more complicated of uh, of the two. Because Bill Maher, so on his show on Friday night, he's interviewing uh, Senator Ben Sass from Nebraska, says, you know, Bill Maher likes to go and do stand-up in sort of red state and likes to go into sort of the heart of red country and, and do his stand-up. And, and troll and them. More power. <laughs> more power. I mean, that's it's, but that is. He likes to go into these very right-wing well, areas and espouse very left-wing political humor. He doesn't need to go there to troll them. He can troll them on his show on night, you know, on, on, Friday, on Friday nights. He goes there and he's playing to the blue crowd. That's that right. says you go is in the, every is in every red Austins. state. Yeah, I right. Mean, you go to the Austins in. You know, no, he the, goes to like Mobile. He goes to he goes to Mobile. He'll go to to Jackson, Mississippi, because he knows that there are liberals who will come out and 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 watch him and 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 laugh. But anyway, on on Friday he has Nebraska Senator Ben Sass. He says, "I need to get out to Nebraska more." And you know, Ben Sass says, "Yeah, we'd love to have you come work in our fields." And his response is, "Work in the fields." Senator, I'm a house N-word. Um, so I was curious if you are going to say it or not. <laughs> I was. Because I've been thinking a lot about this. And I think that there's like a couple of context things you've taken account. Number one, the only acceptable moment for any white person to use the N-word is in a court of law if they are testifying to someone else's use of that word. And that's it. Like, that, those are the ground rules. Yeah. If you are compelled by a judge to say it aloud, that's it. Otherwise, there is no acceptable... There, I, I cannot fathom one. Yeah, yeah. You know, unless you are trying. The only other thing I can think of is if you are trying for suicide by mob violence and you want to walk into an African-American community and yell at a whole bunch in the hopes that, you know, somebody might come out and beat your ass to death. Right. Rightfully so. That's about the only like, there's just not. See, now 
I, so I think where you're going to go on this is you say Bill Maher, moron. Is that, am I, I mean, not to jump the gun, but is that where you're going with this? Well, look, Bill Maher is a permanent asshole. <laughs> and he'll be the first person to tell you this. So I will, I'm going to actually but. come back on you uh, the other way, and I'm going to say Bill Maher, asshole. It's great to be edgy. It's great to be provocative. Bill Maher has a fundamental problem with, his, with letting his mouth get ahead of his thoughts and constantly getting him killed. This is the guy who sat there and argued on, you know, he got blown up for this stuff. Blown up. Maybe that's not the best choice of words. But he, he lost a show 15 years ago for the same thing. Arguing like, you know what's bravery? Bravery is being willing to sit in the front of a plane and fly it into a tower. That's like, no, that's not, that's no, yeah. that's just not true. And he's slowly like working himself back. And then he tumbles into it again with a goddamn racial epithet. And like, there comes a point where I have to think like, you know what? If you didn't learn this the first time, you're not trying to learn. You're an asshole. Well, let's put some context to it though. One, I didn't think that his comments on politically incorrect that got him fired after 9-11 were fireable. I didn't think that that was a fireable offense. Two, he has had his show, HBO show for about 17 years. I mean, he's obviously said many, many controversial things, um, but usually it's things that, as with the Kathy Griffin situation, get the right wing riled up because he's, you know, he's trolling them, like you said earlier. Um, this was uh, the only time he, he seems to get similar pushback from the left is when he talks about his views of Islam. And, you know, he certainly couches that in, in terms of his overall views of religion, which is to say he's not a fan of any religion. Um, you know, and so I, I, so I, I think that a situation like this is maybe not as, as prevalent as, as, as what, what you're suggesting. And, but I, I may also have a blind spot about this. You know I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm Hispanic, but I basically pass for white yeah, guy. You can pass. <laughs> I can pass, and um, so you know, I'm 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 coming at it from a really different perspective because I I I was talking to one of my friends about it, and and he's white, and he was like, yeah, it doesn't really affect uh, it doesn't really offend me, and I'm like, unless you're black, you're it's not really meant to offend you. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. it's you know, it, and so it's a weird conversation sometimes to have. So uh, as a white or white passing person, do you think that uh, artists with progressive values have a responsibility right now? Or do they get a pass? Well, or, or but but this would be my argument, right? The Kathy Griffins of the world, the Bill Mars of the world, I as a as a liberal I feel like if they're going to be like liberal standard bearers, if you are going to try to take up this mantle, you have a responsibility not to get us killed. You want to go out there and say, hey, I'm just a house slave. That's still not exactly tasteful by any means. It'll get you yelled at and suspended. Well, this is like, but won't necessarily get you fired is when you drop a racial epithet. You know, Kathy Griffin, maybe what she needed to do was take paper dolls of the president and, like, snip his limbs off one at a time. Like, m m maybe, or be doing something like that. But, like, holding up a severed head, like, there, you know, there was a defining moment in 2003, two, where that American trucker was killed in Iraq. And they and they severed his head, like, uh, the you know, the terrorism, the terrorist folks severed his head on camera, and you could watch it on camera. And I watched it because I felt like I needed to. I needed to confront the fact that, like, these, you know, people were being sent off to die in, in my name. Like, I needed to see what it was about. And it was, it was horrible to watch. And honestly, like, just thinking about it now gives me chills again. Like, I, I kind of feel a little ill. Yeah. You know, you have, you have a, a, do progressives have a responsibility to do that? Or is part of pushing the cultural boundaries willfully saying, I know there's a responsible choice here. I am choosing to ignore it anyway because we have to be out there on the edge and it's the responsibility of other people to be more mainstream and cautious. I, as an artist, I have to get out there. I have to push the boundary. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? I definitely, I want artists trying to push the boundary. Listen, art, you know, we get, we get, we get caught up in popular art and, you know, we all enjoy popular music, for example. We all enjoy popular comics. Pop. Um, yeah, a lot of music. 
And, and, you know, we sometimes forget that sometimes the point of art is to challenge all of your notions. And in order to do that, they have to be, it has to be challenging. I guess my, my issue with both Kathy Griffin and Bill Maher, um, Bill Maher, obviously the racial epithet is just, like you said, like we said earlier, it's just not ever really appropriate. I mean, it's sort of a general good rule about racial epithets generally, like that, Short of being compelled to testify them on them in right, a court of law, right, right, right. just don't. It's not a good thing to do. It's not. It's not. Um, I I just didn't think that that the comedy was particularly clever in either instance. And you know, it's like when we talked about Pill Cosby last week, and we were like, you know, rape is just something you never really make jokes about because it's just it's not funny. It's not joke worthy. I think slavery probably fits into that uh, context. And like for example, the Holocaust, like Holocaust jokes. What's the last one you heard that was funny? Uh, I'll answer for you. None. Right. <laughs> None are funny. And you know, Kathy Griffin. I mean, yeah, she's just pulling the right thing. She got maybe exactly what she wanted. So could be. When we get back, we'll wrap up with my favorite thing I saw this week. This is insert name here. Hey, everybody. So we're here at the beautiful One Love Massive HQ across the street from the Historic Howard Theater in Shaw, Washington, D.C. And uh, just wanted to hip you to a lot of the stuff that's going on here at One Love Massive. And let's just start with how you find these guys on social media, because if you need to know where the best music is going down, if you need to know where the best parties are going down, you need to be with One Love. You can find them on the internet at onelovemassive.com. They're on Facebook at One Love Massive DC. And they're also on the Twitter for those of you scoring at home or at, at One Love Massive. And they are DC as fuck. DC as fuck. Yes, they are. Fuck. Yes, they are. I have one of those on my guitar. Very proud of it. Very proud of it. Like, One Love just does such great, great stuff here in the city. They do Feel the Love Live uh, every month at Flash. Um, the Lucky So-and-Sos did Feel the Love Live twice, and it's like this great MC open mic night. So this is just like one example of what they do, and it's dope as fuck. It's $5 Jameson's uh, on, and it's on a Thursday night. Is it the second or third Thursday? Wait, it's on, you're sure, it's on, like, do I need to Like, $5. Five dollar Jameson's, yeah, that's that's pretty good. That's hang, pretty on, good. hang on, I gotta take these headphones off. I'll be right back. I, I was at a place. I was at a place in a uh, a neighborhood of DC that I will not name. It just rhymes with Schmadams, Oregon. I was there for a birthday party. Not by choice, um, but I'll look, I I love. Uh, uh, Folks, this is what a face Dago. palm sounds like. <laughs> yes, got her to break again. To wrap up, let's end with my favorite thing I saw this week. Scott, what was your favorite thing you saw this week? Okay, so my favorite thing I saw this week was a stand-up comedy bit by a uh, by a British comic. Not dropping any uh, racial epithets. He did not. It was it was not always the most tasteful thing. It is a twenty fourteen. No Holocaust jokes. No Holocaust jokes. Okay, no uh, severed heads of any kind. No That's slavery right. jokes. None of these things. Things. Uh, it is by a uh, stand-up comic named Russell Howard, who's a British comic. Uh, and this dates back to 2014, but is the ending of a live set that he did, uh, where he tells a six-and-a-half-minute story uh, about working with a, a, a 13 year or 13 or 14-year-old boy uh, who's dying of cancer and, got, uh, and his Make-A-Wish Foundation wish was to meet this comic, Russell Howard. It is six and a half minutes where over the course of it, you will cry, you will stop breathing, you will laugh like harder than you have. We'll tweet it out here at the end on at woke since 84. That's Ian's uh, Twitter. Uh, Take a look at it. I I just we could use your handle at puked on myself. Okay, it's not that's not me. I just I just started that. That's not funny. I don't (laughs) I don't understand. Ian, this is a professional show. All right. I'm a goddamn professional here. You can hit uh, up Scott I, at, at I, puked on myself. No. 
No, you may not. You can hit up <laughs> Ian at that because I am not going to participate in that. I, I just, but th- this sketch, this six and a half minute sketch revolves around um, the only joke that I will tell from this that I think gives you a sense of what it is. It revolves around a sketch that Russell Howard had done on his TV show called Mr. Dildo, in which he dressed up as a giant six foot anatomical <laughs> penis. And as Russell Howard reflects, this. Uh, he says, you know, I had forgotten about this seminal work of art, which, A, good job right there. Nice work. And he, as he points out, it's not high art, but it is funny. Uh, and so when we tweet this out, I just find six minutes, watch it, and then you may tweet your adorations and thanks uh, back at me at Ian's Twitter, at since 84 Ian, you know, you previewed at the beginning uh, of the uh, yes. beginning of the podcast today. The favorite thing you saw this week was the miracle of life. <laughs> you know, again, I'd like us to reflect on you did. You know, knowing you, uh, you know, I don't know, ninety seconds worth of work in the contributions, and then your wife carried the next nine months of, you know, agony. I like uh, to think of myself as the conductor. My wife just the. I'm sure that's a metaphor she's gonna love. I, I, I look, I look forward to hearing from your wife, who hopefully will also tweet at us with various remarks about Ian's inadequacy as a lover. Uh, but Ian, I did me. my job. I did my job. Yes. And Ian, tell us a little bit. Just you know, what? Talk to me about the perspective change you have when this happens. I'm not, I'm not well, lucky enough to be a parent. Um, you know, I hope to be someday, but who knows? Well, I'll tell you. It, you know, I. Um, I have three sons, um, and so this is my first daughter, and I'll be perfectly honest, this is going to be uh, <laughs> uh, one way or the other, whether, ah, I, I, whether I need to... Some frozen peas? Whether, yeah, there might be some frozen peas in there. But, um, so I think the real perspective this time is having a daughter, and, and uh, you know, it definitely feels different. I'm still kind of processing, you know, she'll be, uh, we're recording this on Monday evening, um, as of... Tuesday at about 5.30 a.m. She will be a week old. And so, um, you know, it's just been really, really fun, uh, really exhausting, um, but really a lot of fun. She's adorable. She's so great. My wife is amazing. Um, she. God, we all think she's a saint. Jesus Christ. <laughs> indeed, indeed. That, that woman am. drew a short straw when she, she said that one. I picked that one. Like, oh. She definitely drew a short straw, but. But I married way the fuck up. Yeah, you did. Yeah, so, yeah, you she's did. She's a champ. I love you, Shauna. And uh, I'm. she's probably not even listening this far into the podcast. She probably got about five minutes in. And, and conked right and out conked because she's got <laughs> to be up in three hours because your sorry ass isn't going to be up. Well, folks, uh, that's all for yeah. this week. Thank you to the One Love Massive Collective for hosting us this week. Uh, you know, they are DC as fuck. DC as fuck. And you can learn more about them at onelovemassive.com. Follow them on Facebook at onelovemassivedc or on Twitter as at onelovemassive. You can hit me up at uh, woke since 84 You can hit Scott up at... Woke at, since 84 At, at puked woke on myself. Since 84. <laughs> woke since 84. Uh, thank you, Magic Mike, working the boards here with us tonight. Uh, if you have Magic I- Mike, is that a thing now? Yeah, I think it is. I just Mike's made it shaking a thing. his head. Mike's shaking his head and looking at you. Yeah, like, it is, shit. baby. Yeah, it is. We're gonna get you a poster. Maybe someday I'll get you to meet Channing Tatum. Fuck yeah! If you have an idea for the name for this stupid podcast, you can also tweet that to us at, at @wokesince84. If we choose your name, you'll win this week's prize, which is a three-week supply of slightly used pizza dough. Wow, that's delicious. It is. Well, it was pre-enjoyed. Let's see. That's the key. Our nominee this week is from Ashley and Petworth. She sounds like a very smart woman. She is a very smart woman. Ashley and Petworth suggested Paul's and Pies, where we would talk about this political stuff while eating pie, which I, I for one, am a fan of as a fat guy, you know, like an excuse to eat pie every week. Like we could be sitting, we could have done this whole thing. I'm rethinking this whole saying that Ashley was smart. But like with a pie. She's very smart. I, I I assume like Bill Maher dropping the N word that this was just uh, uh, some kind of just like mental uh, synapse misfire, a lapse in judgment on her M- part. Definitely a synapse misfire. So, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're, we're getting into some deep stuff here. Are you anti pie? I love pie. I love pie. So what's wrong? With, well, I, I don't understand what's wrong. With the podcast where all we do is like eat pie. 
We already have a podcast where they, they eat food. What? Well, it's that's called true. Get Fed. Yeah, it's absolutely. And you it's can called eat. Get Fed. Get with Get Fed. Those guys are funny as shit. You can follow that on One Love Massive. Uh, on to, hear, the- to hear Zach talk about talk about the notes that he's getting when he eats the uh, the the Dunkin' Donuts breakfast sandwich mm. is, is is pretty fucking outstanding. Those guys are great. Check well, them out. Make sure to follow them on SoundCloud. You just what are we doing? They've got, they've got ten times the listenership that we do. We're plugging them so they'll come on and their li- <laughs> listeners will begrudgingly listen to they, us. They have like 20 listeners. We've got like two, so they've got ten times. Well, you know. Anyway, folks, that's all for this week. We'll talk to you soon. See you.